Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. The peace of Christ be with you. We come to this place of worship to encounter the one who has called us here. This Holy One, our God, is with us in every moment. God is in our celebrations and joys. God is in our darkest nights of loneliness. This Holy One, our God, blesses us and calls us by name. As night fades before the coming light, we meet the one who saves us, even from ourselves. This God, our holy God, touches us with the spirit of hope. We pick on sisters and brothers, we argue with our spouses, we fight with friends and neighbors, we all live broken lives. We even end up struggling with God, seeking to make God do our bidding. But it is God who can heal our brokenness, 
God who can reconcile our differences, God who can make us families once again. Let us confess our sin together, seeking God's promised blessing for each of us as we pray, saying, Here at the river's edge, healing God, we are hesitant to cross over, for on the other side are all the people we have hurt. On that far shore is everyone we have ridiculed, scorned, ignored. Across the water stand the poor, the homeless, the lost, all those we have looked down on, believing that they are beneath us. On the other bank stands the cross we must carry if we are to follow Jesus. Before we can cross, the Most Holy One, we must struggle with you. We cannot meet the others if we have not encountered you. Forgive us and reconcile us, not only to them, but to yourself. Bless us that we would be a blessing to them. Rename us and carry us across the river as faithful disciples of the one we are blessed to call our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, face to face, God meets us. Here, face to face, we can speak every longing in our heart. Here, face to face, God forgives us. Here, face to face, we meet the one who has great compassion for us and who forgives us of every sin. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets.
Guide us, O Lord, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord from Psalm 17. Listen for the word of God. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From you, let my vindication come. Let your eyes see the right. If you try my heart, if you visit me by night, if you test me, you will find no wickedness in me. My mouth does not transgress. As for what others do, by the word of your lips I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously, show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied, beholding your likeness. This is the word of the Lord. And the gospel lesson comes to us today from the gospel according to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist was beheaded, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Ours is a time of bigger is better. Bigger homes, larger warehouses, global economies. Ours is a time which assumes that mega must mean much better. Mega churches like 
the Crystal Cathedral, which might not be thriving today like it did once, but it did once. And Willow Creek near Chicago and and, uh, First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens. Mega malls, like Mall of America, draw more interest. And here in New Jersey, we'll be getting our very own mega mall. Apparently, it's now called the American Dream. It's planned for the Meadowlands to be opened before the Super Bowl is played in 2014. The developers say it's going to be very similar to the Mall of America. It's going to be a wonderful mix, wonderful mix of retail and entertainment. It will have practically 350 stores when it opens, many restaurants, many nightclubs. It'll be the first complex in North America to have an indoor ski hill. Are you getting excited? It's going to have a wonderful water park. It's going to have an amusement park. And there's going to be an indoor ice skating arena. So says the Mall of America Director of Tourism, Doug Killian. And upon completion, the American Dream will have 7.5 million square feet. About two-thirds larger than the Mall of America. Apparently, it's big enough to fit 12 Yankee stadiums inside with room for some big spenders to spare. And New Jersey is expected to attract 55 million visitors annually. You know, I was wondering how many New Brunswick's would fit into that much space. But I'm a theologian and I couldn't do the math. Oh boy, I am so boring. I would so much rather save the energy that it will take to have an indoor ski hill in New Jersey to run that place I would so much rather save the energy so that our children and our grandchildren and our grandchildren's children will have some energy to spare when they are old and the planet will be even hotter than it was a few weeks ago. You and I, how many are here? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. You know, that, I can do this math. That is 16 more than Jesus expected here today. You only need two or three, and we have 18. You and I, we live on a smaller scale and a much simpler scale. And sometimes we operate on a nothing scale, a barely squeaking by scale. And today's story is for us. It's a story that is a mega kind of story of biblical proportions. Although I realized writing this that biblical proportions doesn't mean what it used to now that capitalism drives a mall like the American dream and computer graphics drive a movie like Avatar that that outdoes our understanding of biblical. We know the story of the five loaves and two fishes so well and some days too well. This miracle starts with Jesus withdrawing, pulling back, moving away from the great crowds that he's already taught. He's just been rejected in his hometown, his own people not believing that he would really amount to much and what he was trying to do, just who is he to try to do that? And his own dear cousin John has just been beheaded. Jesus retreats to a a desolate place 
one that no doubt mirrors his sensibilities at the time and in a boat no less that may have fit only him. He's heading to a desolate place, someplace bare, someplace uninhabited, someplace without people, someplace deserted, someplace solitary. He withdraws by himself to a deserted place, and the public man goes private. The extrovert seeks introversion. The miracle man yearns to find a secret place with no expectations of him. But somehow, 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 the crowds find out, and they follow him on foot from the towns. Not one town, many towns. From all the towns around where Jesus has walked and performed miracles and taught and lived a spirituality that included people in the realm of God who had been excluded and, and made his very own religious leaders furious, the crowds follow him on foot to this desolate place. Who cares about desolation, they think. With Jesus there, no place is desolate. No place is desolate. The only desolate, deserted place Jesus might have known that day was the middle of the lake on his way to a place he thought would be desolate. From the middle of the lake, he sees the crowds coming along the edge of the shore, no doubt their feet kicking up dust, their number making them visible on the horizon. 5,000 men making their way around the lake, and that's not even counting the women and children. And this was in the days before each man and woman had two children, or one. There could well have been 20,000 people coming along the edge of the lake, for all we know kicking up dust indeed. Did they saunter? Did they hurry? Did a few start out, then more come along as word spread that people are going to see a miracle worker? Did they go because they wanted to be part of a great crowd, like those who have gathered to listen to Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa or Archbishop Desmond Tutu? Or these days, like the media Mongols, Glenn Beck, Stephen Colbert, and John Stewart. A number of people on Facebook over these past few weeks have posted their attendance at the U2 concerts in the area, waiting in line on asphalt parking lots. Can you believe it in the weather when it was 100 degrees and what was the humidity? Just to see Bono. Somebody, one of my friends said, was my megachurch pastor. These people coming, so many of them. Did the crowds go because they wanted to be healed? How many people there were in need of health care? Did they go because they were hungry? How many were hungry? Did they go because they were, so many of them, excluded from their religious community because they weren't yet perfect? And did they think, maybe this is it? Jesus is, Jesus is now going to overtake the Roman oppressors. Look how many we are. And how many were just curious, onlookers, wanting to be part of, of something bigger? How many, though, wanted their 
blindness cured, their withered hand made whole. It can be awesome to be part of a large crowd, and drawing one, well, wouldn't we all like to have this sanctuary filled? I remember one day when it was, we invited Shane Claiborne here, somebody very important to young adults. I was up in the corner of that balcony, just about on the ceiling, so happy, and I made sure to take a lot of pictures as proof that, yes, we can pack this sanctuary. It was filled to the gills, and that is sort of what we want on Sunday morning, isn't it? But then maybe it isn't about what we want. Maybe it's not about the number. One thing is sure about the crowds and their participation. It's worth it to hear what Jesus of Nazareth has to say. And surely that's the main reason why thousands of people went to be with him. His teaching refreshed them and they wanted more. He had words of promise and words of hope of a father's care and of a a kingdom quite other than that which they lived in under the thumb of Rome. They hungered and they thirsted after words like that and they were determined to hear more from this charismatic man who had been attracting an immense audience throughout Galilee even if they had to follow him or, or really go ahead of him to a deserted place. Have you ever noticed that the crowds never complained about being hungry? They never asked for anything to eat. They never asked where they might find food. And Jesus, he he never asks, are you hungry? Do you need something to eat? The crowd never demands food and Jesus never asks if they need it. It's is the disciples who notice the deserted place, the late hour, the likely growling stomachs. It's the disciples who anticipate the hunger, and it's the disciples who know they don't have a thing with which to feed a hungry crowd. And it's the disciples who are trying to plan for food, and it's the disciples who are trying to prevent a possible mob scene because people are so hungry. It's the disciples who are trying to figure out the logistics and and make sure that everybody has something in their empty stomachs. And it's the disciples who have the hunch that, you know, Jesus had compassion on the crowd when when he arrived and saw them, and, and it's Jesus who will take care of the hunger. The disciples know they have nothing to give the crowd to eat. And and so they suggest the next reasonable idea. Jesus, send the crowds away. Send them away so that they can get something to eat. Tell tell them to go down to the grease trucks and get something. Or or to the student center. There are five different, different places that they could eat. Send them away. And Jesus tells the disciples that the crowd doesn't need to go away that he is sure the disciples have what they need to give everybody something to eat. Really? The disciples believe they have nothing. Okay, five loaves and two fish, 
which in their minds is next to nothing. Their, their meager supplies pale in comparison and sufficiency to the size of the crowd. And their Lord believes they have everything they need. The disciples believe they have nothing. And their Lord believes they have everything they need. How often is that our response? I can't do it. I don't have enough money. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm too old. I have nothing. And compare that belief to our catechism. I believe that God has created me and all that exists. God has given me and still preserves my body and soul with all their powers. God provides me with food and clothing, home and family, daily work, and all I need from day to day. Truly, it is frightening to be faced with needs so far beyond our ability to satisfy. Even if we had several tons of wheat or a hundred head of cattle, our best intentions or desires become depressed wishes that we could do something meaningful to alleviate the needs of the world. What was it this week? The starving children in Somalia. So many of them coming from desolate places and dying before they even get to the refugee camps. How can we hear of all those children dying? And we're filled with the terrible sense that there's really nothing we can do to make even a small dent in the face of adversities we see on TV or read in the newspapers and hear about through local charities, trying to meet the impoverishment of people without means. Sometimes this sense even gives us a reason to hand out a dollar or two to someone on the street corner when the person gives us the impression that they're really honestly hungry. They're not just trying to con us so they can get a, a bottle of whiskey. They, they're just really hungry. Here, have a loaf of bread and a fish, we say. That's, that's all we can do. But there's so many street corners and so many unworthy beggars to care for them all. Here, take this. It's, it's so little for so many. And this is where the miracle needs to happen. This belief is what Jesus wants us to change. Changing this belief is the miracle of the story. Jesus doesn't leave his disciples to their own imaginations or well-being wherewithal to work out how to stretch the five loaves and two fish. Nor does he leave us. He invites us those whom he expects to feed the large crowd since they brought the problem to his attention, he invites the disciples to bring the loaves and fishes to him. Bring them to me, he says. And he gets the crowd to sit down on the grass, and then the amazing work begins. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looks up to heaven, and he blesses them and breaks the loaves and gives them to the disciples. And the disciples give them to the crowds. And they all ate and were filled. And there were 12 baskets left over. There is no telling what can happen when things get into the hands of God who created them in the first place and who stands among us in the human form of Jesus of Nazareth. The miracle of the loaves and fishes echoes throughout scripture. Only when the disciples 
give over their resources to Jesus. And only then do the disciples believe they have enough and more with which to feed the people. You give them something to eat becomes, I take from your hands that which you have and give it back to you so that you will have enough to give them as though it were from your hands. And now I want to practice 10 years of history. 10 years ago, I came to Rutgers University as the first campus minister of Rutgers Protestant Campus Ministries. And I think you know that I was across the street sharing space with Lutheran Campus Ministry because the seminary offered us one of their places to live as a place for our campus ministry. I always saw you on the first week of classes, and I never quite knew if I should approach your pastor first or because I was the new kid in town or wait for your pastor to approach me because I was the new kid in town. And it never happened. But think about it. It's 10 years later, and you have offered us space. So we're on the first floor of 14 Stone Street, and you're offering Rutgers students space on the second floor of Trinity House. And some of those students now have a place who felt homeless. They have a place to call home. And you have a food pantry, your own five loaves pantry, which is in the need of supplies, by the way, and volunteers. You've made that possible. You're feeding people in the city of New Brunswick. And... They're sleeping in your church, women and children, one part of the year, overflow men's shelter, another part of the year. And you have a Korean congregation worshiping here. And you have a Hispanic congregation worshiping here. And I hear there might be a coffee shop in the narthex. And there might be a thrift store in the basement. Why are you not smiling? My dear, beloved friends, you have thrown your doors open and Christ is alive and among you. Okay, you have 18 here today. That's 16 more than Jesus expected. You are alive. And because you have turned your resources over to God, God has multiplied the ministries of this church 10 times. And for this, I want you to Savor God's goodness and God's amazing grace for your hospitality and your generosity. And wonder with me if God has done this many good things in a decade. What does the next decade hold? And you will know it by going among the crowds and talking among them and listening to what ideas they have and how you can continue to multiply the amazing ministries that have taken root here in this place because you have turned it over to Jesus and he has turned it back to you. We know, we know that our Lord and our God does so much with so little. Whenever we place it in God's hands, you have enough. We have enough. 
And when we give what we have back to God, placing it in God's hands, our little becomes exceedingly much. And for this, during the last hymn, I want to see you smiling with honor and praise to our God who is making mighty things happen, not for the American dream of consumption and distraction, but for God's dream that all might eat and be filled. And let the people of God say, Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, grant that the words we have heard this day may, through your grace, be so grafted within our hearts that they may bring forth in us the fruits of the Spirit to the honor and praise of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Will you stand and join me in the confession of faith? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All that we have comes from God. Let us place it trustingly in God's hands. Will you join with me in prayer? Which is not the one found in the bulletin, by the way. Holy are you, Redeemer of the lost, and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus is our true blessing and our hope. When he could have deserted us as we continued to stumble through sin, he was filled with compassion and came to be with us in our pain. When he could have kept silent in response to our fears and doubts, he told stories of your love and grace. His presence silencing our fears and encouraging confidence. When he could have detoured around our violence and anger and overwhelming need, he walked straight into it and into death so we might be saved. As we remember all the gifts he shared with us, 
as we remember all the ministries he inspires in us, as we tell of his healings and feedings for all, we speak of that faith which is often a mystery, that Christ died, compassion for us in his heart, Christ rose, blessing God forever, Christ will come so that we are never sent away. In the darkest moments of our lives, precious Lord, we have struggled with you, believing that if we were to beat you, you would have to give us whatever we want, not realizing you have already blessed us with everything we need in life. When our hunger for hope overwhelms us, gentle Jesus, you fill us with your presence. When our need for more and more would pull us further and further away from you, you heal us of our desires. When we would look away from those in need, your tears of compassion cleanse our hearts. So as we look to you this day, sweet Jesus, into your hands, whom we've entrusted the resources we have, we ask that you continue to inspire us and bless us and figure out the ways in which you would have us make your love known, your light shine here in this place, trusting that we have enough to do something. And we would leave our pain behind us and run through your streams of living waters, Spirit of God, that we might embrace our sisters and brothers in peace, knowing that our broken relationships through you have been made whole. God in community, holy in one, we lift our prayers to you this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
Friends, we have enough. Let's trust what we have in the hands of God and follow wherever it is Jesus leads us. Go out into this day knowing that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And let the people of God say, Amen.